In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I call your attention to the words of our text. Romans 13, verses 8 to 14, St. Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is our text. Joe had hurt Jill. He had hurt her terribly. They wanted to continue together, and Jill had forgiven him, but almost every time Joe saw her, he felt guilt and regret. He apologized again and again. He found it hard to be happy with her. And after a while, Jill couldn't stand it and gave him the boot. Now, sad as it is, this is some people's idea of Christianity. We have offended God and must live in perpetual repentance. And this much is true. And those who deny this truth by minimizing human sin are false teachers of a fraudulent gospel. But the picture of self-loathing and self-centered repentance that we have just shared also denies the good news of Jesus. For it sees our sin as more significant than God's grace. Today, as we begin the penitential season of Advent, let us consider St. Paul's description of the life of repentance. Put on Christ to love others. Now, in the first place, Paul exhorts us to put on Christ. What does this mean? Well, you know, we have a saying, clothes make the man or the woman. Some people insist on having a, a personal interview before they hire anyone. Why? Because clothes reveal our habits, our taste, our consideration for others, our attitude towards work, our attitude towards ourselves. So to put on Christ is to put Him first in our lives. To put on Christ is to cover our shame with Him. To put on Christ is to let others see Him and His attitude rather than our own because His is more important than ours. Jesus' opinion of you 
is more important, more truthful, more gracious than mine. So I put on Christ that others may see him in me. And note that the putting on is from the outside, not a change from the inside. Christian living does not begin with warm emotions on the inside, but with external control. There's a saying, first we form our habits, and then they form us. There's so much truth in that. For there is a momentum and direction to life. And we may have different feelings and opinions on the inside. Our hearts are unstable and changeable things. So it's the outward habit that so often determines our direction. So the Christian life is like the athlete who struggles to master pain, that inner message, with outer discipline. And so we submit to God's discipline, to Christ's discipline. This is what makes us disciples. We put on Christ in baptism. We put on Christ in the life of repentance that flows from baptism. For in baptism we are joined to Christ. Our sin is put on Him and His righteousness is put on us. Why do ministers at the altar wear these white robes? Why, to show that the righteousness of Christ has been put on us. I don't appear before you in my own clothes, in my own person. I can only appear before you because Christ has put his righteousness on me and called me to serve in his name. And this pertains to every Christian life. His righteousness is put on us. And we serve in his name. And this is why it is so wrong to think more about our regrets and sorrows than God's gifts. St. Paul talks about a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow grieves that it has disappointed God, but it rejoices in God's forgiveness. Worldly sorrow Grieves that it can't have its own way, whether its own righteousness like the Pharisees or its own debauchery in sin. And it doesn't care about God. It just weeps that it doesn't get its own way. Christ in us leads us to love as Christ loves. Because when we have received God's forgiveness, God's love, we can pass it on to others. In fact, like a pipe, if we're stopped at one end, it no longer flows through us. That's why there's a direct connection between our receiving the love and forgiveness of God and our passing it on to those around us. So let Christ lead you to love. Now, Paul contrasts the love that pleases God with human desire, sometimes called love. Traditionally, we call this human desire the lust of the flesh, but that can be misleading because the lust of the flesh is not just the appetites, which can be gross and repulsive to other people, but the lusts of the flesh, the human desires, the cupidity can be the desire to manipulate others, even with gifts and smooth talk. 
You see, the lust of the flesh includes our desire for attention, for applause, for admiration, for thanks. In other words, the lust of the flesh is preoccupied with our own needs, however socially acceptable and approved they may be. But the love which God inspires looks for the needs of others. For love is the fulfilling of the law. And to love one's neighbor is to help your neighbor in his need. Now there's a love that's appropriate to each station in life, to each relationship. So often we confine love to romantic love or perhaps to mother and child love. But there is a love for every relationship you have in your life. What is the need of people around you? Well, for one person, his or her need is one that only you can meet. If you are a spouse or a parent or a child, only you can provide the love, the affection, the consideration that that particular person needs from you. On the other hand, there's a love that's appropriate even to enemies. What does your enemy need from you? Probably forgiveness and probably for you to stay out of his way. There's a love that your employer or that your customer needs from you. So meeting those needs is showing love for our neighbor. And God speaks to us through circumstance as he spoke to the good Samaritan who came across a man who was bleeding on the road that was not on his plan for the day, but he realized that God wanted him to drop what he was doing and attend to his neighbor in his need. What are the needs around you? For God speaks to us in different ways. One person takes time to help a wounded animal. Another one realizes that God has blessed him so that he can send a thousand dollars to relieve people who have been affected by a typhoon or a hurricane. What are the needs that you see that you can address that is the love of God at work in your life. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him lead you to love. For our Lord Jesus saw our need. When we were yet sinners and enemies of God, Jesus saw our need, our need for forgiveness, for atonement, for reconciliation with God. And even though it cost him his life, he gave his life that our needs might be met. No greater love has any man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus has made us friends of God through his sacrifice on the cross. So what needs do you see around you? Which are you uniquely able to meet? And that's St. Paul's picture of the life of repentance. To put on Christ to serve others. Going back to our first story, if Joe wanted a life with Jill, he'd have paid more attention to her than to himself. If you want a life with God, then turn from your deeds and needs to God's grace in Christ. Let it flow through you to others.
and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.